Hello. Hey, Mario. I'm Jake. How you doing? How you doing, boss? Okay, good, good. What are you up to? I know what you're up to. You're between dropping kids off and picking them up, and um, I'm. Uh, well, I just, I, you know, I just, I just interviewed uh, Raúl Matute. Do you know him? Nope. He was uh, a keyboardist in Cold Blood. Okay. And great band. Great band, and uh, he was just talking about the hypnotic. The hypnotic groove. Uh, I mean, the dude. I, I don't know. He was. Uh, he's a pretty badass dude. He actually went into the airline industry for a while, but I mean, that band was fucking righteous. But yeah, I mean, let's let's hit, man. If you're ready, let's go. Aren't they still together, Cold Blood? I mean, isn't yeah, but there's no. I, I, yeah, they are absolutely. Lydia's still doing it. I mean, I, I had a great interview with Lydia a couple months ago, but uh, the band is. You know, I mean, Rod Ellicott was on bass and. Gaylord Birch was the drum. Those cats are gone, you know. But uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, uh, Raúl was the man, dude. It, it, sick, he, dude. He told the sick. He used to play with Bill Champlin and uh, the guy Palmer, the Vibes player from the Sun. Jeff. Jeff Palmer. But dude, yeah. and I've interviewed both those cats. But Champlin was playing bass. Well, you know what? I think I met him at Jeff Palmer's place once, this yeah. guy you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, Hispanic dude, like long black yeah. hair. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, really interesting dude. Anyway, um, uh, he was talking about Garibaldi in the studio. When, when so this leads into, let's just start, because this leads right into the, the theme of today. Okay. What's the theme of today? Well, you're going to find out. <laughs> Folks, welcome back. Uh, we are in the midst of... Uh, Going through the life of a, a legendary uh, musician, Mario Cipollina, and uh, we're biting this off a uh, little little piece at a time. Mario, wel welcome back to the show, man. Thanks, Jake. Good to be here. I wanted to just read you uh, this quote um, that I uh, transcribed the other day, and then we can go farther because it's something that we really need to break down. This is from Gregorico, who I, I know you know. Yeah. Uh, he said, Sly Stone's brother, Freddie Stewart, we had a group for about a year called Freddie and the Stone Souls. Wow. Yeah. Sly had a radio show first on K-Soul. Then he went to KDIA. He was popular right. around the Bay Area. Yep. He used to produce for Tom Donahue. That's right. Tom Donahue was the godfather of FM, or otherwise known as AOR. Al album or album oriented radio. Right. And I'm looking here, I had a typo, I put Alvin. That's gonna go over great on Facebook. People love to make fun of my grammar. Album oriented radio. He started K San. Before that he was he worked with Bobby Mitchell, who was the program director for a big station in San Francisco called KYA. They they were a network. They had affiliates across the country. When when he picked one of your records, you could probably guarantee you had a hit. Anyway, why don't you just talk about the significance of, like, why was it so cosmic to be connected as, as a young teenager or younger with Tom Donahue and the, and the Donahue family? Do me a favor, jot down the name Bill Gavin, also. How do you spell the last name? G-A-V-I-N. That's something we should discuss, and it is another you okay. know, heavy hitter in, in, in a similar sense. But I get the um, feeling that, like, that I get the feeling he was almost, a, like, as... as as great as your dad was as, as a craftsman and as a worker, I get the feeling Donahue was almost a surrogate father to you. But I, you know, you you riff yeah, on. you know, in a funny way, in a funny way that he was, he, he was as was Bob Browner, who ended up being our manager for the with the news, you know. Um, and and I think that what he gave me that's a helpful gift from some that people, some people are lucky enough to get from their fathers is. Um, uh, a sen uh, encouragement, um, not necessarily in the in the traditional sense, but by well, for example, when 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 he asked me if I would uh, fill in for Pete, it was Stoneground. Um, that's a hell of an acknowledgement of what he thought of my capabilities, and so that was uh, you know on par with uh, you know a dad throwing a pizza party for their kid who did well in their baseball season or whatever, you know? Right on. And, and, I, um, it, it, it helped instill in me a sense of, 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 um, uh, it, uh, it 
helped me not to question myself so much, which, which by nature I tend to do to an extreme. And at that time in my life, had I been into a mode of a lot of self-questioning and maybe even self-doubt, like I go through these as an adult. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, we never, we continually keep, it's amazing. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's, it's a cycle, but go ahead. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, were I going through, were those a more prevalent part of my nature at that point in my life? I don't think I would have done half of what I did or gotten to play with him. Or even gotten to learn to play as, as as well as I did with whatever limitations I have. It was still like example of my brother inviting me to work with him. That was more than just um, that was more than a job. That was a, that well certainly that was an adventure, but it was a, it was a, a confidence builders. You know, was, and, it, was it was it was it a validation of what you of your craft, so to speak? I think so. I think so. It definitely let me feel. I felt like I was. I was doing the right things. I Could, felt like I was. I, like I had picked a good direction for myself. Can you just talk about like the the vibe of the Donahue house? I mean, how did? Mm. I mean, was it just word of mouth that John was like, "Yo, my brother's been shedding a lot," or were you over there, you know, playing music? I mean, and then give an give an idea of like how how, how much how much pull he had. Uh, well, it, it, the place was. You know, I think if you put another person at a house, it probably would have had a completely different feeling. But with 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 Tom there, uh, it definitely felt like um, it felt like the you know how in Egyptian temples they there's many levels that you walk through, and then finally there's the inner sanctum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like walking into the inner sanctum of rock and roll. Jeez, of of that's what it felt. It, you felt like you that like upstairs and around the corner through that door was where the real shit was going on. That, you know, that was where uh, things happened that made that, that made changes in the world. And he was that kind of guy. He was, a big, I mean, he was larger in life and per physically, he was just a gigantic man. And um, and his presence, I'm sure you, if you could take in that spirit and put it in, the, in uh, you know, uh, 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 some guy, a little normal size guy's body it still would have been a huge presence he just had this uh, there was a magical confidence in and vision that you felt this guy had um, and apparently he did hmm. well, what, so so can you, do you remember specifically how it the house well no how, not so much the house but how how uh, ultimately he decided I mean that was your first professional oh, gig I mean, yeah i'm sorry i didn't answer your question you're right yeah. uh, so so to answer your question um uh initially he met me and had been and his kids i guess had told him that i was john chipley's little brother and we went to school together and so um um when we would we met at the house you know i met saw him just about every day after school and um uh, so I usually had an ins instrument with me. I was riding a motorcycle at that time, so it was, fortunately I, I, I played a, a small bass. I played uh, a, a Dan Electra Longhorn, which is very small and light, so I could take it with me on my, my bike. And um, um, so I, I uh, had a little amp set up there, and I would play their practice on my own. I would bring demo tapes and play them for the, his sons, who I was friends with at school. And um, so... He expressed curiosity when he started hearing the demos. The first demo he heard of ours was the first demo we recorded at Mickey Hart's ranch. Um, my, back, my, back there again, huh? <laughs> yeah, back there again. Well, yeah, there, I mean, the, Mickey and his ranch played a big role in the, my early career. Um, so, well, you talked before about uh, the 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 Quicksilver House and the Dead House, Cowboys and Indians. So you right. You wound up often, Mickey. You know, to his credit, he, he did op offer that barn. He had a full studio. That's right. Oh yeah. You know, Absolutely. so so you were stone ground, uh, essentially Gibson and yourself, and who else? And 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 so you guys were were were, were carving out a demo at Mickey's uh, studio. Yeah, that was a sound hole. Sound hole. Okay, this was stone right. ground. Yeah, well, you probably. <laughs> I think the if I'm, I'm, I would have to say. The first demo is probably under the name Wide Hole. <laughs> fortunately, that doesn't get printed a lot. People don't, you know, most of the guys in the, that were in the band don't bring that up. I'm not that smart. Wow. Uh, um, 
Um, that's interesting. But, so, um, Donahue was, so, 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 Stone, but Stone Ground, but Stone Ground was, was an already established band, right? I mean, they, when, yeah. Uh-huh. So, well, actually, not, not hugely, because when I started playing with them was to support their first album. So, right. So Sears know. went back to do the Gasoline Alley album, right. and then you, yeah. and then so he expressed interest in. I just want to make sure that I'm understanding. You were rehearsing with them, and he heard he or he heard you playing just just demos of your own stuff. He heard demos of my own stuff, and he heard me playing at the at the house. I would just not certainly. I've never been one to show off. I I, I just at that point in my life, I just wanted to play all the time. Right. So I, I couldn't go hang out there for a few hours and, or, you know, a couple acid trips a week and, and, <laughs> and, and do uh, nothing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so, um, uh, although I did sell a lot of acid to some other, of his, his Tom's friends, business people, you know, that was pretty cool. Wait, I, hold on, hold on. These were, these were like, I don't think I should drop the names though. No, 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 no. I'm just saying, anyway. but I mean, this Tommy's was like, mother's was, was, was one of my main with someone who really liked what the stuff that I had, I sold him a lot of acid. I'm sorry, I missed the name. Who? Tommy Smothers. Tommy Smothers. Smothers. The Smothers. Smothers Brothers. Tommy Smothers loved your acid. Yeah. Um, we, <laughs> so yeah. these cats. I mean, so he would just. And uh, what's yeah. the name? Artie Cornfeld. The guy did Woodstock. Absolutely. Yeah. Time. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, that's how he heard. It. He didn't never heard me. I know he never saw me play live before he hired me. So I don't. I guess I, you know, maybe it was just desperate, or he felt like you know, well, it's only a couple of weeks, or I don't know why. I honestly can't say. I don't know why he took a chance and hired me. Honestly, I don't. I, I and I never questioned it when he asked me to. It seemed perfectly logical, but in hindsight, it doesn't make any damn sense, really. Other than the guy was like, you know, saw something that he felt confidence in, but certainly I, there was nothing that I had done around the house or had played for him that would give him the inclination that I was a safe bet on a, you know, I am I'm, I'm sure I, I, now that you mentioned, I, I, why did he do that? Well, no, but here, don't worry about it. It's, you know, probably you had a nice bottom end and you could hold the, you know, lock it down and you weren't, you know, like flying off and, and, but I'm trying to figure this out. He, I mean, my impression is that he owned these radio stations, but he was also, uh-huh. he was also a manager of bands too. Just, just that man. Just that. He was old friends of Sal Valentino's. You know, I guess he he had probably been a radio programmer when when um, uh, when the Bo Brummels were big, mm-hmm. and um, he and Sal were friends. Sal lived in San Francisco, and um, so I think his connection was more with Sal, and 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 uh, and um, so when Sal wanted to uh, start this band, uh, Tom. Uh, supported supported him you know emotionally at least because they were very close friends and um um uh and ended up becoming the band's manager i guess either by by hook or you know by fault default or or wanted i don't know that it was really something he chose to do or just kind of fell in his lap or he felt uh that he was the right guy to do the job and help them and sure so it was the only band that he managed and, and you remember the feeling um, I mean, it, being that we're both sort of, you know, you know, we, we can, we can get insecure doubt ourselves. And sometimes I mean, uh-huh. did you, do you remember the feelings that the emotions you had, were you petrified? Were you really hopped up and, and, and fired up? And then ultimately what was that experience like? I mean, did, did you like, for instance, like with Stan Getz, I mean, Stan Getz was on the road with Tea Garden in ninth grade and basically became an alcoholic at that point and yeah. was a full-fledged heroin addict by 1948 with the four brothers. And I'm just trying to figure out if, um, I mean, you were obviously already playing with your brother and everything, but uh, were you scared of the musician's life? No. It was, that was, that was, I'll tell you, you know, I never mentioned this to you, but in, um, I remember clearly in the second grade, uh, being, you know, it was the same class where we were, we were, we the same teacher that taught me how to, how to um, write my letters and stuff. So I had the same teacher twice in elementary school, once in kindergarten, and once in second grade. And in second grade, during one cor- one of the classes, it was an English 
I remember we were doing English and C-spot run and all that kind of stuff. So we're practicing how to write C-spot run. And I got distracted with my in my head, and and I started. Um, my dad had this amazing signature. Um, <laughs> he's old school Italian guy, and and he told me he used to say, Mario, in the world I come from, your signature is your seal, wow. is what he would say, and, and referring to uh, when you used to shut and close an envelope with something in the old days, they didn't they didn't close them with. Uh, glue to close them with wax you would take a candle of and drip a, dr a drop of wax um so it would go over both the flap of the envelope and the body of the envelope and then you would take a a small brass stamp and set it into the the hot wax and hold it there until it dried and there would be a seal of your uh, your crest or your family symbol or what, whatever it was your was your sign yeah. and and so uh, later in his life, he adopted the attitude that your your signature is now your seal. That's how you you show that you that 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 you are the person who authorized this and who authored this, whatever it might be. And uh, in the old days, you know, you wrote with a, a quill or a, or a, um, a a fountain pen. And um, so you, when you were a child raised in the early 1900s in Italy, you learned calligraphy, so which can only be written with a with a broad tip uh, fountain pen. So this is actually on. I'm actually on point. It doesn't sound like it, but so my I remember my father when I was very little showed me his official signature, which looked like a piece of artwork. It was just unbelievable. There were clouds around it, and it was just as um, I kind of give anything to have an example of his signature. I don't have one, I, but but so the, to me, the autograph and the and the signature were basically one and the same. So you you know, and so um, I decided during this class, as my mind wandered away from what I was supposed to, from to see Tom and Dick run or whatever, <laughs> yeah, right. I I started working on my autograph, and I have the piece of paper actually somewhere. I have I've seen it recently. I have the piece of paper that starts off with C spot run, la la la, a few sentences of that, and then you st you see me. I start tr trying uh, autographs or signatures, whatever you want to call it. And by the bottom of that page, I actually came up with the autograph that I use to this day, and that was in the second grade. The reason I brought that up is that I never questioned what I was going to do when I grew up. From the time I started playing bass, I knew that's what I was going to do. I knew that was my life. And I also never questioned that I would be successful at it. I, I knew I would be successful at it. I had, I, it was never anything that I put any, I didn't put a drop of energy into being afraid I might not be successful at it. And that attitude stayed with me until, I didn't think I really ran into some self-doubt until like my, in my 30s. But up until that point, it was something I never questioned. So, so when I was offered that job, it made it in deep inside. It made perfect sense. It was, it, and I don't mean to sound egotistical. I just never had questioned where I was going. No, I dig, man. This is a this is great. Keep going, man. It's just funny, I, and so I, I, so uh, you know, I already had the autograph. I was ready to go. You know, no, you, <laughs> no, you know what it is. I mean, it's it's. So, I mean, aside from Healy barking at you in the garage and trying, you know, I mean, it was there times that you can point to where, you know, older musicians were trying to get in your head and it never phased you? Do you, do you have any recollection of people trying to push you? Uh, uh, if I had any of those moments, they were more, they were more, uh, uh, I, I had a hard time with the kind of jock mentality. Of some, that some there are some musicians yeah. that that even though they're musicians, their mentality is more out of the seems to be out of the more of the sports world. The kind of towel slapping in the in the locker room kind of thing, you know, vibe. Yeah, I, I, yeah, the hazing and the fraternity. Yeah, yeah. and I never did well with people like that. There are a couple of them in the news, you know, that that that, that just that at that attitude. Uh, I didn't have a lot of toughness for that kind of thing. No, I, so so if I ever was under fire, either from the conductor of the orchestra or or whomever, um, I would 
uh, it would it would hurt a lot. It hurt more than I think most people or a lot of people. That it was I didn't have any much uh, tensile strength for um, for uh, a certain kind of humor, a certain kind of uh, club membership camaraderie. Uh, and, and that doesn't sound right. No, no, no but uh, this is important. That if if you can, can you explain? Bit. Can you explain in your when you saw that stuff or heard it? Why did it? it, it why did it feel so so? Um, uh, uh, what's the right word? I'll tell you why. Because it, why it hurt? Because I had been bullied when I was a little. When I was really young, I had uh, I uh, I had a butch haircut. I wore glasses and a patch, and I had really buck teeth. So I took some heat. Yeah, no, I, I wait, and they didn't have braces back then, right? I mean, you were, right. yeah, right. see, at least I had, my teeth were fucked up too. I had braces though in 87, 80, you know, so you had, so you were bullied. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and so, um, and, and, uh, you know, I had, I had the depression issue already early as, it was a young child. So, so, um, um, if I would get my feelings hurt, it didn't. It I didn't snap back real well. My feelings would stay hurt, and I would, and, and I would. Uh, uh, I might have hidden it, but emotionally, I was cowering for pretty much who. Any time I would run into the person that I had that kind of an issue with, you know. It was, yeah, but I mean, once you yeah. got to the point where you were like clearly in your own realm, like you felt confident, you knew what you had a direction, like. What was it about that sort of club exclusivity, sort of you know hazing fraternity shit that just just didn't mesh with you? Because what kind of personality, what kind of individualism are you as Mario Cipollina about? I'm not sure I understand the question, but well, what I'm uh, saying is, it's like it's like you know, if you don't go along with this kind of thing, then you're out of the club. Oh yeah, and that's just fine with me. I don't want to be in the fucking club. Well, you can't be in that club if you're an empathetic person because you can't be that way. You can't treat people that way if you consider how it feels to them. That's what I didn't like about that mentality. Is that to have that mentality, those the people that haze and 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 um, and uh, tease and bully are not taking into account how that would feel. You can't do. You you can't be both. You you, you can't. Be an empathetic person and 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 emotionally abuse another person, and so um, it, all it would take for me was an, a, a, an example that someone had that quality to some degree in their personality, and I'd become very wary of them. And and um, and um, and uh, you know, uh, many more many more times than not, there would be some kind of a, an engagement that would cause me pain that I had to hide. Did you, so, I'm looking here at one of the notes, like, uh, like, I mean, you know, like language barrier with Van Morrison. Van was noto- notoriously known for being completely erratic, unpredictable, could have been a total asshole. Ozzy Ollers told me he fired a guitarist on stage during a live gig. Oh, uh, sure. Did this, can you talk about the, the relationship with some of these Titanic people that you, were very young and working with, and, and how you dealt with this, if the bullying came across, and how you ultimately internalized it and, 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 and helped and, and dealt with it? Um, well, let's see. You know, Van, for, uh, Van, there was never anything, I never felt like uh, I was singled out with him because we were a band that got hired by Van. So I, ha- I was with my band. He was this, this other entity. You know? So when he spoke if he had an issue with us, it was with us. I, he really, I don't recall him singling out people that much, or maybe I don't recall it because he never singled me. Out. No, well, can you give an example of what, what, how he would call the band out collectively? This is this is okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. We, we were like, for example, one time we were at rehearsal, and this this was a, a, a semantic or a, a pronunciation issue we had because he had a very strong Irish accent, right. and sometimes it was hard to understand what he's saying. So, like one time we're at rehearsal, and um, and we stopped the song. He says, "We've got to do it again. You're playing too light," and and we thought he was saying you're playing it too light. Right. And so, so we would play this song with, and that passage we would play it much quieter. And he'd be, and then he'd say, he'd stop the band, and say, "It's too late. Do it again." 
and we do it again softer, even more softer. <laughs> and he said, and then now he's yelling in the microphone while we're playing, too late, too late, too late. And we, and we don't know. And so finally. You're playing, uh, you're, his, now you're like, his, it's silent. His, his manager, who's a friend of ours, his tour manager, manager guy, um, um, says, oh no, he's saying it's too loud. Oh my God. <laughs> and, uh, and um, no, wait a minute. I'm sorry, I had it backwards. But he was saying too light, so we play it louder. That's what it was. He's saying it's too light. We thought he was saying too light, and, and we would play it louder. And so then, now he wants it quieter, but we're playing it louder every time. And it finally turns out that light, he was saying light, loud, loud, loud. Well, that is too light. It's too light. Yeah, that's it's how too it's loud. So it's yeah. too, so you thought he was saying too light, so you were playing it louder, but he was louder, actually yeah. saying loud and and correct. So how yeah. did so <laughs> that was funny eventually but not at first it was it was pretty pretty scary at first because we obviously were not pleasing him and and that was early on in rehearsal so we did we definitely wanted to be pleasing him because that was a cool gig i mean you know career-wise we knew it was a good thing for us so going back Uh, to 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 donahue i mean is it is it is it can you talk about his significance in helping cultivate the the sub the underground San Francisco sound that you sort of you were at the tail end of it, but I, I'm just trying to gain the not just the Cipollina family, first gen Italian family, but you know without Donahue, you, you get you don't have any ability to project out all all those bands, you know. I don't know exactly what you. Well, I mean, like he, you know, he he single hand. I mean, back before you know, uh, you know. Uh, like you know clear channel now controls you know uh 90% of the stations i mean you could uh he had the ability to be able to take pe- uh bands music and really disseminate it through all the radio stations he had yes sir that's right so i don't think i realized how powerful he was i knew he was a, a heavy hitter i don't think I, re- I i think i thought of him more as a regional i i just didn't i didn't wasn't aware of the whole world really at that point in my life i was you know, just not experienced enough and hadn't been around enough blocks. But, um, and you know, now that you mention it, uh, duh, I never even thought about the fact that, that Tom Donahue and Van Morrison were close friends. Really? And undoubtedly, Tom had something to do with us getting the gig playing with Van. So he really was fond. He obviously not only thought you were a, a very good player, but he liked you too. I mean, he, he, I he, think so. Yeah, that's what an interesting, Pretty cool. Very cool. You know, but this again, we we one of the cool we we can check off the the Shalik murders. We 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 covered that on my radio show. We can go into that in deeper detail. But one thing I you you you've dealt with you early on between the bullying, um, sort of the unpredictability of your father, um, you know, having these natural musical gifts. Uh, being having your consciousness expanded almost every day at a very early age. I mean, you did deal with a lot of tragedy. And um, mm-hmm. can you talk about this uh, this this high school sweetheart you had and, and how everything went down with that? Mm. Yeah, she Karen was a she <laughs> she was such an angel. She was just an angel, and she was so sweet. And and she like me she was someone that was um uh very likable and had had a lot of friends on the surface and people did but also it had her limits as far as how far she would let people into her life and and um she and i felt safe with each other and um and um and she would come with me a lot actually up she was a quite a fixture up at donahue's with me we, she, she was my sweetheart, and we, we, when when I was up there, a lot of times she was there too. And um, um, Tom admired her artwork very much. Tom was a collector of Mooka uh, prints. He had a amazing collection of Mooka artwork, wow. and uh, yeah, the whole house was full of it. <laughs> and um, and um, uh, and Karen was a gifted artist, no doubt. Um, the thing was, is that she, at that point in her life, was only drawing and painting screaming faces with hands over them. And, and, and you're talking about a, a, a drop-dead, beautiful young girl uh, who had the sweetest smile and most beautiful, engaging eyes. And 
and and a wonderful smile and seemingly very happy. I was always troubled by her artwork because I I never saw uh, any any um, example of the, that kind of emotion in in her. It just I just could, it just you couldn't imagine where it was coming from. Right, that's a very it's an interesting disconnect where she wasn't necessarily channeling it through her own being, but through her art, she was. I couldn't know. We took and we took a lot of acid together and stuff too. She took a lot of LSD also. But um, I, I, what I didn't know. Did you guys? Can you talk about it? Like a, a a trip you remember you guys taking together? Um. Not well, a, not a vacation. I mean, like an acid trip, or where you you know. Yeah, yeah. right, right. Well, no, we were fifteen, so yeah. we weren't taking a lot of trips. But she was uh, not that guy. But she um, she was with me one night. We 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 took acid up there. It was a, a, a Friday night, and we took acid kind of later than usually. We normally would have, you know dropped earlier, but we I don't think we dropped until like yeah, maybe ten or twelve o'clock at night. Wow, and. Um, so so when the sunrise came, I was still peaking, and and uh, but so we had spent that whole night sitting. Uh, she and Sean and I talking, and she was drawing, and I I can't you know you know it's hard to to to, to describe a Sean it was a Sean is Donahue's son. Yeah, Sean is Tom's son. Yeah, okay. and um uh. uh so if, anyway, that was just one morning. You know, I remember she. I was. I wanted to go for a ride and see the sunrise, and she. She didn't want to come with me. Um, so she stayed at home, and I. I took off. Now, Tom Donahue's house was on a, was down a driveway that you could like. You couldn't really call it a driveway. It was a steep, windy path with two strips, just the width of a tire. And you had to, you had to, you had to stay on that that oh patch God, of that's concrete terrible. and wind wind down this super steep hill. I mean, really <laughs> unbelievably steep. And then then that you would come to the house. Well, so on a motorcycle, that was a hell of a challenge. On acid, big challenge. And, oh my, and so insane. to take off peaking on acid, I remember. I'll never forget how scary I was getting up that driveway and out into the road. But anyway, on the ride, I got stung. Uh, 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 I saw a, a, a wasp. I could see, you know, had you know, twenty ten vision when, on acid. I could see this thing. Oh, yeah. I could see this thing about a quarter mile down the road, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm aware that it's that if I don't, if I'm not lucky, it's going to hit. I'm going to hit it, you know. And so, sure enough, right up under my face mask, oh, my God. and it, it it got me on the lower lip and and stung me and, and stayed there. Mm. So. I come to a sliding stop, kickstand down, motor off all at the same time, and, and I get this wasp off. So by the time I get back to Donahue's house, now I've got I've got this lip the size of a of a grapefruit, and um, I have to negotiate the driveway back down, get the and the whole thing. And Karen nursed me back to to uh, to um, calmness uh, with popsicles. Uh, she just kept handing me, you know. I love that. No, I saw. So, so yeah. wait, you, would you would too, actually. You would, you would, you would, you had, you had exited. You had exited Donahue's house, and you were back. You were watching the sunset, and you got stung while you were watching the sunset. sunrise. I was out watching the sunrise. You were out watching. That's when you got stung. Yeah, coming back home from down the, from the the hill, I had driven up to to go uh, uh, watch the sun come up. And I'm, so I'm coming blasting down this hill about 50 miles an hour, and saw this wasp. And I, somehow I knew that we, he and I, were gonna. It was one of those things. I know I saw him a quarter mile out. And I knew that I knew I was, he was gonna be a problem. <laughs> what like ultimately did you see her beginning to fade away at some point? Were you no? Nope. You, you, okay, so so what? I don't I don't know. You know, I, I, that's uh, one of the few things in my life that that. Um, I don't feel like I have any answer to much. I, I it, it it made no sense. Oh, what I did find out, although part of me after she died, I found out that she had been seeing a psychiatrist for a number of years, actually, hmm. and and was was schizophrenic. I didn't know. I, the, uh, the the Karen I knew didn't have that in her, but the Karen that drew those drawings was the troublemaker, you know, and that was someone I never met. I never met that person in her, and I, and that's then. So there's one, and within three years, I had to run with another schizophrenic who killed my best friend and his parents. It was the brother of our drummer. You know, the guy who killed Dan Shalik and his parents was our drummer's brother. 
So that's two twice before I'm 19 years old that I've had a very close and meaningful uh, and life-changing encounter with uh, psyche, psych, psychiatric problems, you know. Um, so kind of just the chronology is that when did you go first go on the road with, with Stone Ground? You were 14? Well, fif- 15. 15. Uh, 15. Yeah, I was a sophomore. You were a sophomore, and then, yeah, and then um, your sweetheart... Uh, what, what, she died the next year, so when I was 16... She helped. She hung how, how did you? Did you discover her? No, fortunately not. Her, her little brother did. She, she, she. It was before school. She hung herself. They found her when her brother went to wake her up for school. Being that, how, could you have any under, memory of of considering it maybe with somebody you might have wound up spending the rest of your life with? Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, how, how did you? How did you? I mean, Absolutely. aside from the, the the shock and the grief and the normal stuff, I mean, do, do you obviously you're never going to get an answer or understand why? But do you remember how you held it together? I didn't. I still think about her every day. You know, it's just one of those things. You just just you, you don't get over it. You just it just becomes part of who you are. Right. And, um, you know, and that, that, and that's no reflection on my wife. You know, it's so funny. I, I, I'm, as I've gotten, uh, as I've matured or whatever, as I've gotten older, let's just face it, getting old as I've, as I've started getting old, I've, I, uh, I'm a little more at peace. And part of it is that my Kendra is so cool. My wife is so non-judgmental and not, we don't, there's not a jealous bone in our relationship. And, um, sure. No, I mean this is, but these are like situations where you know, there's this intersection of spirituality where you know, obviously you you, you meet somebody who, like, where you go with her now and you know support you know while she goes out to her work gigs and you want to go and hang out with her and, but then there's this idea yeah. of like a soulmate and I remember when I interviewed uh, David Crosby, uh, the, the you know I got a whole twenty five minutes from from Cros, and. Uh, and one thing I did, one thing I did ask him about was, um, you know, I'm trying to remember back. I, I know Freiburg was on. I, I don't think I remember your brother on it, but uh, there was this seminal album that David did called uh, "If I Could Only Remember My Name." Yeah, I auditioned for that gig. <laughs> so uh, you know, and and uh, it was with the peer group a little bit ahead of you, I guess, with like Cassidy and Lesh and Yorma and those cats and. Um, but the thing is that I'm not sure if you know the backstory there, but he, he, he similar to you, he had a, his, this, this woman, this was a woman that he was going to marry. And, uh, I forget her name now, but, but she was involved in a car accident. She was killed. And, um, David at that time, it's like 71, 72. And he was in such the only place that he felt any solace at all was in Wally Hyder studios. And it, what what was amazing about chronicling that was that he talked about Grace Slick and Jerry and uh, basically almost coming every night to uh, to support him there, and it turned into a whole bunch of peeps coming, uh, you know, Graham Nash and Freiburg, and that that album though is that's a memorial to this this girl that never that is long gone but was his soulmate so you consider this uh this this girl your soulmate and it's uh and 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 that is i mean it's just it's actually nice that a, that a girl would even be uh, attracted to you you know <laughs> I mean, yeah right 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 yeah no shit yeah yeah you know well, it's a, you know you're like yeah. a buck tooth acid eating freak you know but but right. you know i mean listen i you know i mean i guess what i'm getting at is that you struggle in your own head as I do, and yet, the, the, what I'm trying to get at here is the crux of how does Ch- does Cipollino, Mario Cipollino, st- still stay together, overcoming adversity. Could be the Shalix, could be the, yeah. the sweetheart. It could be uh, misinterpreting Van's language. I'm being facetious. Whatever. No, I, think, 
I, I think a lot of it is, is that uh, I'm, 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 I've always been really empathetic. I've always been really in tune with, with the feelings of others around me, right. for, whether they're close people or not. I just, I'm just, you know, to a fault, really. It's, 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 uh, I, I wish I could back it down somewhat, but just because it's, um, it's a lot of feelings, you know. Sometimes I'm uncomfortable just driving through San Francisco because it's hard to deal with all the psychic energy. I think that's why I like being up at night because uh, most people are asleep and, and, and uh, the airwaves get quieter. You know, in the daytime when everyone's up and struggling and doing what they're doing and hoping and dreaming and suffering, and I some for some I I I I feel all that. For, I think everyone does, but I, I'm I'm just more kind of consciously aware of it. I think and it's it's hard to it's hard it's harder it's quieter at night in 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 my head, and I think it's because it's psychically just a quieter environment. No, I completely. I know. I mean, I I actually I'm pretty much dead to the world by like. I shut myself down. I'm, I'm not a night owl, but um, there is something. But you know that, what happens. No, I, I mean, I can feel the, that, that, that sonic nature just, it, it comes down. Uh, yeah. And, and as, oppo as opposed to that buzz. Right, that, exactly. That's yeah. happening during, yeah. you know, that's happening. It starts going away by 7 o'clock at night. It's, it's much calmer. Do you feel like looking back on your teen years and, and into your early adulthood years that, uh, not that you would change it, but that you you uh, experienced too much too fast. Or I mean, it, 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 I'm not saying that you were sheltered, but no. there's many cats that you know. Like I, I was relatively inexperienced in almost every every facet of my life when I before I went to Boston University in college. Mm -hmm. I don't. Did you even go to college? No, so I mean, before you were college age, you had already pretty much uh, packed a couple of lifetimes into your life. It's, it never even came up going to college. It, it, it was it never came up. It never came up with my parents. It never came up with me. I were I had a path, and it was clear, and um, never came up. Do, never do you, came up. Do, do, even though you were less self conscious, didn't have a lot of self doubt? Can you say that? Was there anything definitively, were there points of your early life that you feel were traumatic for you? Traumatic? Yeah, yeah sure, yeah. I, um, there were, we, well, we've talked about a few of them. Um, um, uh, I was, but my mom and dad had a fight one time that they, they split up for a couple of days, you know, and that was, that was traumatic. That was, um, 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 uh, there were no, a number of times when I had little b mini breakdowns, depression breakdowns that, that, that I pretty much kept to myself. Although those are the ones I told you, my sister would always seem to find me, my brother's twin, my, um, of course you, you had know, this, you had this simpatico with her, you know, this telepathy. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, we did. And, and, and so she, but so, and those, those are traumatic memories for me. Just those, you know, feeling like, feeling like, um, like I had the weight of the world on me for some reason, not not understanding why, what it was, why I was so upset. You know, it was kind of scary. I didn't, but I didn't here's the thing, Mario. Here's What's the up? thing, is that you know you didn't get stuck in it for in a long period of time. Yeah. So I'm just trying to get at the idea of right. your psychology. If you can try to explain, how do I have I gained altitude from those? those yeah, things? I mean that to me is. The, I mean to me it's like, dude, you were on pins and eggshells around your father. Yeah. Uh, you have this musical genius gift. Um, you know, you're in the middle of the a bastion of 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 whatever. I hate the word counterculture, but it's all there. You yeah. know, and 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 yet you're experiencing trauma in your own psyche, and yet you're not. Slitting your wrist. You're not hanging yourself like your high school sweetheart did. You're still well, alive today. That's the empathetic thing. That's the thing which kept me alive even recently is that I, 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 there's always been someone in my life that I loved enough that I, I couldn't do it to him and that I couldn't stay down for, uh, that I, I had to come, I had to get back to not upset someone else's egg cart. And you know what I mean? That it was like, I, 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 you know, it's like when, when Dan got killed, I couldn't fall apart because I had to, someone had, we needed a band leader. 
or, or a band was going to fall apart, you know. So I, um, um, there was always somebody that I, that I felt was more important than than what I than what I might have wanted to run away or emotionally or, boy, whatever way. And and there was always someone that that I cared about enough that uh, you know that uh, I was uh, was I, I was able to fight my way back for for them. You know, ne- never, never for me. But that's cool. Whatever it took. You know. I mean, I, re- I really hope that is that really genuine. I'd like to believe you're a little yeah, more selfish it, than that. I mean, I, I, to me, it's like. No, the, I'm sorry. To be honest with you, no, I'm, I'm not. So and, this and is why not. you're wait. Sometimes this is why you have these bouts where you're you're thinking about the guns because because you are always doing it for other people, and if you can't find those people, then you get very depressed. No, I think it's the other way around. I think it's a, when I get depressed. If I didn't have those people in my life, I would the guns would come out. You know, you know, like I've I've lived a number of times now for my wife. Period. Not for my son. Not for my grandchildren. But for my wife, I w- I just couldn't do it to her. No matter how much I want out at the time and how much I can't see any way out, I I just can't do it to her. What's the closest you... What the you've... hell does that sound? You all right? I'm fine. Right. I just, my phone's beeping at me for some reason. Anyway, anyway. What's the, uh... What's the closest you've come to pulling the trigger? Oh, which time? I don't know. It's, uh, I think what I'm getting at is that it, you've had the gun in your mouth? Oh, yeah. Yeah, a few times. Lock loaded, ready to go, and uh, but I think actually the closest, maybe the closest time was um, when I got arrested with the gun under my seat when I was driving out of town at 100 miles an hour. To, I, I had this, I had this vision. The Golden Gate Bridge was pretty close. I was on the other side of the railing of the Golden Gate Bridge once, and that that, uh, that was just a fluke. I mean, I, I told you my phone rang in my pocket. Of all things, I answered it with one hand. I'm hanging on the fucking railing, and I and I answered the phone call. It was funny. I mean, that's a funny story, actually, in hindsight. But um, you know, that was that was after six months of obsessing on jumping off the bridge. I just I knew that that's where my peace was, you know. And, and I obsessed on. It. I thought about around the clock. I was strung out. I I couldn't seem to kick, and I I and I certainly wasn't kind of willing to live the way things were going. And and uh, you know, after I'd been fired and stuff, and uh, there were. Two two suicides attempts, thought you know, all you know, borderline brushes were 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 based on on aftermath of being fired. That was pretty traumatic. So I just to, just to wrap this, I want to be clear that there's you're driving out of town. You had just this was after you'd gotten fired. Yeah, I'd gotten fired, and um, and um, and and uh, um, from from the my, news. My wife from the left news, me from the news. Yeah, from yeah. the from the news. Yeah. yeah. And my wife left me while I was just still in treatment. I got fired while I was in treatment. Actually, I was in the hospital. The band came and fired me. But um, hmm. um, so I, I got out of the hospital, out of treatment. My wife had left, and I still was a single parent of you know f- half fifty fifty time parenting my kids. And um, um, uh, my uh, I, I, my my first wife, who was the, my kid's parent parent, uh, mother, um, um, was, uh, f- afraid for, uh, my kids. I guess my son was, was telling her how depressed I was and that he, 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 he thought I was doing drugs and he was telling her about it. So, so, so he left, he made a choice not to come back to me when one day from, I went to pick him up at school and he wasn't there. And, and uh, I came home and found a note he had written me in the, the, before school and left for me. And, um, I still have that letter. It's pretty tough. But, um, um, and, uh, so then, uh, then the only, the only kid after school I was picking up was my daughter. And then one day I went to pick her up and she wasn't there. And that was it, you know, mm-hmm. for me, that was cause you just, that was it. And that was the night I went to, to, uh, drive off, you know, and take care of it, you know, but, uh, the cops pulled me over. So you were on your way to the Golden Gate Bridge, driving 100 miles an hour. Uh, no, that, that uh, I was on my way. I, I was actually driving. I, I had this per- place in mind that was going to commit suicide in Fortuna, California. 
<laughs> which is up near Eureka, and it was just a full, uh, I used to go there to visit my grandma when she was old, and uh, for some reason I just fixated on that, because I wanted to do it someplace where my kids, I wasn't going to have any chance of, my, in my mind, my kids would never have to see me like that. If I, you know, if I did it in the home or or some, you know, there was some to me there was some chance that the kids might be, be, get in be involved in finding me, and I, I I wasn't willing to do that. So you know, my big tip of the hat to my children is I was going to do it away from home. So I was on my way to Fortuna to with the gun. The the, the bridge was another time separate. So you were on your way to Fortuna, and the cops pulled you over. Yeah, and, and, they, and they, those cat those cats were saying, now is not the time to go, Mario. We're gonna, I ran a stop sign. We're going to give you a ticket. Yeah, I ran a stop sign. Ticket, nothing. It was in. It hit the Associated Press. It was a nightmare. Oh. The next day, the next morning, the morning after the day that my daughter didn't show up for me to pick her up, there was a headline in the with a picture of me, and uh, you know they made it sound like it's the the writer made it sound like I had been chased down you know like a dog like they had been chasing it, it sounded like a just a like some rap guy had had a gunfight and he was chased <laughs> and you know, it was just made it this whole thing you know but there's a shootout but, uh, wait but you had no drugs in the car or anything i had a ton of them they found everything oh. yeah i had some of everything i had heroin speed and coke and and a 44 loaded under my seat what was the year that would be 80 90, sorry, 95, maybe 96, wow. early 96. Wow. It was November, let's see, no, it was October, no, September 29th, 1985. 85? Mm -hmm. A year after I was fired. And your brother was still alive? Yeah, yeah, my brother was alive. Wow. In fact, the last thing he said to me, uh, after my first wife and I had broke broke up, I, I, I you know did the classic thing. I ended up living on a couch in my studio in in, in Santa Fe, and um, and um, he came to visit me there one one evening. It was four or five days after my, I'd left my wife and kids and had, had to move out, and um, he came to visit me and. and uh, and uh, I said, we, we, he's leaving, we're waving goodbye out in the parking lot of my studio, and the car, that someone had given him a ride, and the car stopped, and my brother sticks his head out, and I had told him that, I had told him the story of how, what happened before I left, that my, my wife had actually tried to jump out of the car on the freeway, and, and then I, that, you know, I realized that we had gotten so toxic to each other that I had, to, someone had to leave, and she wasn't gonna, so I did, and I told him that story. So anyway, as, as he's driving away, the car lurches to a stop. My brother <laughs> opens the door and sticks his head out. And he looks at me. He says, "Hey, Mario." I said, "What?" He goes, "You should have let her jump." <laughs> and he, then they drove away. <laughs> wow! Oh my god! Oh my god! Well, I got to tell you, what the literally at 